Hello, everyone, and good day. I'm Michael Morgan, host of the 2023 Alzheimer's World Summit. And it's my great pleasure to have with me today, Dr. Neil Nathan, who has been practicing family medicine for 38 years. He's a board certified family physician, and he's combined his knowledge of conventional medicine with his extensive uh, background in holistic medicine and pain management in his efforts to provide diagnostic and therapeutic hope and healing for those who have unfortunately fallen, fallen through the cracks, which is the name of uh, one of his books on hope and healing for those who have fallen through the medical cracks. And Dr. Nathan has developed a considerable expertise in a range of illnesses, chronic pain, Lyme disease, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and mold exposure that most family practitioners are unequipped to diagnose or treat effectively. So uh, welcome, Dr. Nathan. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, could you give us uh, a bit of a brief background in your interest in mold and Lyme's disease and maybe kind of uh, give us an idea of how your understanding of its importance has changed in the last 20 or 30 years? Sure. So uh, I'm going to start back a little bit. Um, I have been the director of a regional pain clinic. This is back in the 80s. And we began to see in the early 80s a weird condition, which we then called fibrositis, that we now call fibromyalgia. But we had no idea what it was. It had covered so many organ systems that it didn't fit. And what medical profession does with that kind of a condition is it tends to say, well, this has got to be psychological because you can't have all of these different systems that are mm -hmm. being affected. But when we tried various psychological remedies and treatments, they didn't work. So it was clear that we didn't understand it and we didn't know what it was. Over the next 10 years, we began to learn a lot about chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. We began to realize there was a large biochemical underpinning. We learned about things like magnesium deficiency and intestinal dysbiosis and hormonal issues and uh, adrenal and thyroid issues galore. And we were able to cure a lot of those people by using those treatments. But it soon became clear that there was a large group of people that we weren't helping. And it turned out that they had Lyme disease. So when we began to diagnose that and treat that, we helped a lot more people. By about 2005, um, we also realized that there was a lot of these folks that we weren't clearly helping and they had mold toxicity. So with the arrival of Dr. Shoemaker's book, Mold Warriors, we began to understand that, whoa, there's this huge epidemic of mold out there that is causing a tremendous amount of disability in our patients. So this was a gradual progression of understanding causation from in multiple ways. Um, so that's kind of how I evolved, got to where I am. And you know, that's fascinating. I can see you've been one of the pioneers in holistic medicine, looking at the underpinning substrates. And it's really interesting that you're, you're it kind of makes sense like the way that I've been trained by my mentor, Dr. Elpleasure to work. It's like, you looked at one thing and first you look at Lyme's disease and that it has its own constellation of kind of odd uh, symptoms. But then that led you to the mold after that. So that's interesting that you're progression kind of uh, developed in that way. Fascinating. Well, I've always had this 
burning desire to help people. Yeah. And when the tools and information I had wasn't sufficient, that pushed me to dig deeper. Yeah. The overriding question has always been, what am I missing? What is it that I don't know that I need to learn to help people, um, more people get better and to help the people I'm treating be completely well rather than a little bit better? Excellent. And it seems like there's some relationship between mold, Lyme's disease, and Alzheimer's dementia. Can you kind of explain that connection? Sure. And it's a big, very important piece. So I'm sure that your listeners are aware of the work of Dale Bredesen, who is a pioneering neurologist who developed a much better understanding of Alzheimer's through his research initially, that Alzheimer's was essentially a disease of inflammation, inflammation that was not being treated or understood properly. And well, what are the major components of inflammation? Lyme and mold. So what Dr. Bredesen learned fairly early on in his his work was that testing people for Lyme and mold was really important because he could cure that. Those are curable illnesses. And with that, he could help countless people with Alzheimer's disease to get better by looking for those conditions. And he also identified, in addition to that, multiple other causes of inflammation, which included uh, deficiencies in various nutrients, genetic issues, um, hormonal imbalances, which added to the puzzle. So he put together a 36-point program. He's actually got more of that now. Now, of 36 things that he could look at that would help someone with early Alzheimer's to recover completely. And he has since published um, dozens and dozens of papers and books um, showing his treatment. And the interesting thing to me, because we see this throughout this entire field, is that the medical profession went, this is too good to be true. I don't believe it. Uh Despite the fact that he's published studies showing hundreds of patients who have recovered um, their ability to think clearly with Mm -hmm. this type of treatment. You would think that the medical profession would embrace this and go, gosh, the medications we have don't work well at all. Let's let's go use this great tool that someone has told us about. But the usual response to that, which we see in Lyme and we see in mold toxicity is, nah, that can't be true, you know, because they didn't teach it to me in medical school. So right. I, mean, I went to medical school 50 years ago. And so we didn't know that then. There's so much that we know now that we didn't know then. So are you really telling me if I didn't learn it in medical school, it doesn't exist? But that is a surprising response that I get from a lot of physicians. Yeah. And that's interesting. I just, uh, I was on a panel with Dr. Bredesen about a month ago, and we talked about that very thing, especially the toxicity piece and what can happen and inflammation. Because, you know, as you know, Alzheimer's is not just a one factor disease, it's multifactorial. And just focusing on that and testing for it, which I know you're big on, if you can, you know, do a test to identify things, that's pretty important. So you're saying at least that that could be a very important piece of the puzzle for a lot of people that they don't realize, right? Well, uh, Dr. Bredesen found early on that it looked like at least 60% of the people with Alzheimer's had mold toxicity. 
Recently, huh. he's bumped that up to 90%. <clears throat> wow. Well, that's pretty significant. No, that's more than significant. That is, anyone who has Alzheimer's or a family, friend, loved one, you have to look for mold toxicity and you have to look for Lyme disease. They're treatable. If you don't treat them, then your loved one is doomed to get progressively worse with time. So my this is a plea on my part. Yeah. If you know anyone with Alzheimer's, please look for mold toxicity and Lyme disease because you're going to help a whole lot of people that way. And that was my follow-up question. What happens if left untreated? What happens? So the disease, the inflammatory process is just one factor is going to continue to to build and cause even more problems, right? That's exactly right. Well, um, is it possible then, you've kind of alluded to this, to reverse the effect of mold uh, exposure? Absolutely. This is treatable. Yeah. Huh. Would this help potentially reverse the effect of Alzheimer's as well then, do you think? It does. Yeah. Um, and, and there's another thing I was reading about, glutathione. Would you say something about that and you're finding in your research? Like, what's the connection there? Well, glutathione is a tricky question. Uh, All right. Glutathione is a natural material in the body that does a whole lot of very important things. One of the ones in this context that's important is that it enhances the body's ability to detoxify. Mm -hmm. So as such, it can be very helpful. However, it's a two-edged sword that for some people, taking glutathione is extremely helpful in helping, helping them detoxify and get well. Mm -hmm. But for quite a few of my patients who are very sensitive, if someone is unusually sensitive and that occurs a lot in mold toxicity and Lyme disease, if you mobilize toxin faster than their body can process it, it will make them worse. So for many of my patients, taking glutathione makes them worse. And it's not part of treatment. For other patients, it's helpful. So it isn't a simplistic, oh, everyone needs to go on glutathione because it's great for detoxification. Right. Not that easy. All right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then you've also uh, spoken a little bit about the limbic system and mold toxicity. Could you kind of explain the connection with that? Sure. Uh, one of the things that mold toxicity does, or multiple things that it does, is it creates inflammation in different parts of the body, particularly in the brain. And again, talking about Alzheimer's, that's not a surprise to see that Alzheimer's is directly connected to mold toxicity. But it specifically affects the limbic system, and it specifically affects what we call the vagal nerve system. Both of those systems are parts of the brain that scrutinize the stimuli that we're being exposed to and warn us if they think there's any danger. Now, this is not psychological. This is neurological. Our nervous system is out there kind of scrutinizing our stimuli mm -hmm. for safety. That's what the limbic system does. So the limbic system is the part of our brain that is particularly connected to sensitivity that means sensitivity to everything sensitivity to light sound touch 
food, chemicals, and EMFs, and it is also responsible for our response ability emotionally. So if someone has developed the sudden onset of anxiety, panic, depression, OCD, depersonalization, think limbic. If someone has a recent increase or sudden onset of sensitivity to light, sound, touch, chemicals, food, EMF, limbic. So the, there is a huge epidemic of increase in sensitivity to all of these things happening right now. There, it's estimated that there are millions of Americans currently wrestling with chemical sensitivity to varying degrees. The vast majority of that is triggered by mold. So the limbic system is the system of, that does that, and mold is the major trigger. The other important trigger is Lyme disease and the co-infection Bartonella. Mm -hmm. Those three things are key in sensitization, and that's really what the limbic system is about. Well, and we had spoken a little bit before this about uh, Ashtar Gupta, who's uh, another one of our going to be another one of our speakers, and he comes up with the theory there's some trigger that from the past there could be some trauma, and that gets stored in the limbic system and the insula of the brain, and that causes some triggering effect, which causes the immune system to continue to overreact, as I understand it. No, and that's pretty and that's, fascinating. No, and that's true. So Ashtar Gupta is the pioneer who developed one of the programs that I use to treat limbic dysfunction. His amygdala retraining program is excellent. I've known Ashok for a while. Um, <clears throat> he's written a chapter in my new book, which is hopefully will become out maybe this late fall or winter. The connection there is that the limbic system is a work in progress. Right. It, it has been monitoring our lives for safety since we were born, actually, since we're in, in our mother's uh, uterus. Um, so none of us have had perfect childhoods. Depending on some of us, more challenging than others, shall we say. So if you've had a child who's had multiple infections of different kinds that required hospitalization or surgeries, if you have a child who had a difficult parent, a parent who was narcissistic or um, abusive in any way, physically, mm -hmm. sexually, or mostly abusive, any of those things will create for a child an environment that is not safe. And it makes their limbic system hypervigilant. That limbic system is out there scrutinizing mm -hmm. the world of, is this safe? Is this safe? Now, given that predisposition, if you add to that an inflammatory process to the limbic system, like mold toxicity or Lyme or Bartonella, now we're off to the races. Now we have someone who was predisposed to have a limbic issue, and now they have a serious limbic issue. That's just brilliant how you put that. That's so understandable how you can couple together the limbic system being ready to be overactivated and then you throw inflammation on top of it, that is piled high. And it's like the afterburner for any kind of a cognitive process or any any issue at all in the immune system. Right. Um, so, so at the risk of being self-serving, um, if your listeners want to learn more about that, 
in my best-selling book, Toxic, Heal Your Body from Mold Toxicity, Lyme Disease, Multiple Chemical Sensitivity, and Other Environmental uh, Toxins. Um, that book is available um, and would really expand on everything I'm talking about in great detail. So if you want to learn more about that, uh, very definitely that's a resource for you. Um, another shorter resource is my ebook, uh, which is simply called Mold and Mycotoxins, Current Evaluation and Treatment, uh, 2022. Um, I updated that book from its original publication in 2016, and it's a short 40-page discussion just of mold toxicity. So again, for your listeners who want to um, go deeper in any of these areas, I, I think those are a resource that could be helpful for them. Well, and that was another question I had. What are some key things our listeners can do if they've been exposed to molds or Lyme disease? So that's obviously one resource, right? Yes. Okay, excellent. Any other thoughts on that in terms of what they can do just as they're listening here? Well, uh, I, I teach um, a large group of physicians about this on a regular basis with um, the brilliant naturopath, Jill Krista, who has another book that your listeners might be interested in called Break the Mold. And it approaches this from a naturopathic perspective, somewhat different from the perspective as a physician that I provide. Excellent. And, you know, I have to ask you, because my mentor, Dr. Upledger, you were one of his students too. Yes. And I wanted to share a little bit about your experience with Dr. Upledger, which is great that you had that experience. <clears throat> well, by now, listeners should realize that I'm a very curious person and I've spent my whole medical career learning in any area that I thought would enhance my ability to help people. So back in 1975, I was urged by one of my teachers to get some training in osteopathic cranial work. And I, I went to, um, um, to study with a group of osteopaths. Now I'm an MD. And so I was the only MD in a room of osteopaths. I have to confess, I didn't even know what an osteopath was right. until I entered that room. Um, uh, my professors at medical school, when I asked what osteopaths were, I would say, oh, they're like chiropractors. And that's absolutely not true. Um, I was not given correct information. So I, I wandered into this room of, I have to say, phenomenal healers. Hmm. These are people whose ability to perceive information and energy and imbalances was astonishing to me. I didn't know human beings could do that. And so they took pity on my lack of skills. I hadn't gone <laughs> to osteopathic medical school and they became my teachers. And I have spent, well, count the years, we're talking almost 50 years of training in osteopathic medicine. Um, and uh, Dr. Epledger was one of my uh, teachers on a number of occasions uh, throughout that whole process. That's great because he has that very curiosity. You know, he's always looking for, was always looking for the cause, what's going on and inquiring more deeply. So that's, yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's great. I, you told me he actually offered you a job down in he Palm did. Beach. 
Yeah, yeah. He did. Um, I was in Palm Beach visiting my parents, and I went to see him just to hang out with him for a day. And um, actually, we treated each other. And um, which, wow. as you know, in the osteopathic world, that's what you do when you, when yeah. you greet each other, you treat each other. And he offered me a job, but I, that wasn't really what was in my yeah. cards at that particular point. Wow. Hey, with, with, with a little time left, would you like to share what you're working on with your new book? like to kind of know what your focus is, if you'd like to share that. Sure. Um, because of what I've done, my colleagues have referred to me over the years, their most difficult cases. So over the years, my practice has evolved to working with the most challenging cases, many of which were extremely sensitive. So I became aware that there was a huge epidemic of sensitivity in this country that was really poorly understood. Most of these patients who are either chemically sensitive or sensitive to EMF, a markedly increasing sensitivity, food, again, light, sound, touch, that these folks were being marginalized and demeaned by their medical practitioners and told, this is in your head, no mm -hmm. one else is like you, you're weird, um, either get therapy or go away, I don't know what to do with you. And that is truly uh, a travesty. So there are millions of people in that particular category and over the years, I have slowly put together an understanding of what causes it and how to cure it. So my new book, which is in its final stages of editing right now, is tentatively called, Why is my body so sensitive and what can I do about it? Um, and it's been, I have 20 guest authors, all of whom are the pioneers in this field. That includes Ashok Gupta, who we mentioned, Annie Hopper, who has another program in the limbic system, uh, Stephen Porges, who developed the concepts of um, uh, vagal uh, hyperreactivity, um, Beth O'Hara, an expert on mast cell activation, and um, uh, Richard Horowitz, world expert on Lyme disease, and on and on and on. Um, all of these folks have. Um, shared my vision about how important it is that we bring this information together in one place so that patients can understand the sensitization process. Very simply, it's almost everyone who becomes sensitized has problems with the limbic, vagal, and mast cell areas. And those are triggered by mold toxicity, Lyme disease, EMFs, um, salicylate intolerance, carbon monoxide, porphyrias, um, sulfate metabolism issues, genetics, and structural issues. I've got two chapters on structure for the jaw particularly, which is particularly important in this area, mm -hmm. and, and the whole body. So this is, I hope, going to be a profoundly helpful book for those people who are struggling with sensitivity. And I'm really excited to get it out as soon as we can. Well, I know in our most recent Beyond the Dura at Upledger, Stephen Porges was a keynote speaker and he spoke about, you know, his polyvagal theory. All of that we've just been discussing about how the vagal system 
the limbic, all that is tied together. That could be a whole other subject we could discuss, you know, just that in and of itself, right? Yeah, yeah but that's so, so I'm, I'm delighted that Steve Porges wrote a very important chapter in the book as well. Excellent. Wow. Uh, this has just been so uh, fascinating. So fascinating. Um, and thank you for your time. And uh, on the website that we'll post, uh, you look for also for Dr. Nathan's information so you can find out more about what he's doing and what he's up to. And again, uh, Dr. Neil Nathan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael, for having me on. I hope that this information will be helpful to people.